Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Tammy Bruce. I'm Juan Williams. I'm Shannon Bream. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, June 29th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. It has been another tough week for people going through airports. Thousands of flights canceled. But the problem this time goes beyond bad weather and airline service. It's because the FAA system, the air traffic control system, has to slow everything down because they don't have enough controllers and just don't have enough wherewithal to handle that kind of a situation. They should, but they don't. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Made in America, bring back manufacturing, keep tariffs in place. When it comes to China, there's some significant bipartisan agreement. But former President Trump's trade representative says we can and should do more. Why would you continue to give five, six, seven hundred billion dollars a year net to an adversary? Someone who wants to take your place in the world, someone who doesn't like you. I'm Liz Peek. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. 50 million Americans will be on the move this weekend in what AAA predicts will be record 4th of July holiday travel. While most will drive, air travel may eclipse pre-pandemic levels like Memorial Day weekend. But ahead of that, it's been a rough week. More than 5,000 flights canceled the past three days, triple that number of delays, according to FlightAware, leaving passengers frustrated, angry, and stranded. The line doesn't move to you, and I know they don't have nothing to offer for us, so that's kind of pretty hopeless. Someone already said that um, the next flight may leave July 1st, so we we're thinking of getting a car and driving back home. Well, they were at Newark, New Jersey's airport. Stormy weather is a big reason for their troubles, but not all of it. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says... We know that nobody can control the weather, but anything under our control at the FAA, we're going to be working on, and anything under the airline's control, they need to step up and take responsibility. And some are pointing fingers at the government this time. And it's not going to get any better. I, we've had the CEO of United Airlines standing up and telling it like it is. Michael Boyd is an aviation industry consultant, president of Boyd Group International. We have an FAA air traffic control system that just can't handle it. And as a result of that, thousands upon thousands of people were badly, badly mishandled. You can't dump this one on the airlines. You know, I could argue with how they handle airplanes on the ground, but if the airplane can't get to that ground, it don't make no never mind. Yeah. Now, this air traffic control situation, just how bad is it? How difficult are we talking about? Well, number one, it hasn't been managed properly. I mean, I testified to Congress with a colleague back in 1994 about whole new approaches to air traffic control, which were totally ignored. The problem is it's always been a secondary thing. And also funding has always been based upon going to Congress and begging and whatnot and carrying on like that. It just has been a mismanaged system. And the controllers, if you really want to, you know, if you don't like your ex-wife, make her a controller. That'll do her in. (laughs) Why is that? 
That's the hardest job in the world. I mean, that's why, you know, retirement is in the 50s because that job is just a gut-wrenching job from day one until you retire. There's no easy anything about it. We owe them a lot of uh, thanks for the work they do. Understaffing is a big problem. Some of these people work six, maybe even seven days a week. Well, yeah, absolutely. No, no days off. And again, it is a meat grinder mentally. So it's really bad news. But we've had, to be real blunt, I mean, we have to have leadership from the top. Unfortunately, cabinet positions like Secretary of Transportation have just been seat warming jobs for political appointees. Until we get somebody running the transportation department that knows it, we're going to be pretty much in the same situation. The current secretary, Pete Buttigieg, has warned of another potential problem for airlines. They're on deadline to upgrade technology by July 1st, which is Saturday, to deal with upgraded 5G wireless service carriers like AT&T and Verizon will be using. Some airlines are ready, like American. Delta warns not all its planes will be upgraded, and that could affect some flights. Well, 5G can interfere with radio altimeters, which are very accurate, but it can interfere with that. And there are fixes to it. Airlines have worked on that since this was announced. The problem there goes back to the FAA. They knew this was a problem, but they didn't really get with the FCC early enough to try to figure it out. So we might have some issues. We don't know. Airlines are trying to adjust to that. But it's another federal screw up as to why we're at this situation. I don't think it'll be major, but right. it could be. What will happen to a plane if it doesn't have an upgrade because the 5G is getting better and, air, and these wireless companies can put this in place starting on Saturday? What If a plane hasn't been fixed, what happens? Well, it depends on the weather. If it's, you know, clear, severe, no problem, like a severe clear where you can see it, not a problem. But where that radio altimeter is needed to find the runway due to bad weather or inclement weather, then it can make a difference and the airplane won't be allowed to land there. Okay. That's the big issue. Okay. Now, we had a landing issue on Wednesday. There was a Delta flight from Atlanta to Charlotte. It didn't have any nose gear. Didn't open, didn't work, malfunctioned. But the plane was able to land on its nose without incident. Nobody was injured. I know this isn't related to any of the travel issues we've been dealing with all week long. But it is remarkable, with all the concerns people have about air traffic control, the airline's safety performance, accidents, and things like that, haven't had any major ones. Those two people in the cockpit of that Boeing 717, they've been through this before, thousands of times maybe, but in a simulator where they knew what to do. So the real issue here is where we've got a very safe air transportation system from the cockpit side. The question is air traffic control, but it's a very good example of just how airlines really approach things, and we should be very, very proud of those airlines. This week, though, severe weather's been a problem. What happens with severe weather? These storms, it just becomes a multiplier, doesn't it? Canceled flight well, here, canceled uh, flight there, and then it just becomes a domino. Sure. I mean, the flight that got canceled at uh, from leaving JFK, that means its next leg that was going to go from Fort Lauderdale to New Orleans gets canceled. It snowballs, but it's because the FAA system, the air traffic control system, has to slow everything down because they don't have enough controllers and just don't have enough wherewithal to handle that kind of a situation. They should, but they don't. And then people are stranded. Some are sleeping in airports. They can't get flights for days because they're trying to rebook it. But if the flights are already full, they can't be rebooked on that flight the next day. It's really difficult. I think you talked about air traffic control being a tough job. I wouldn't want to be an airline scheduler either. No, an airline scheduler is like I was at one time, a gate agent at LaGuardia, where you've got you know 300 people stuck there with nowhere to go. 
and you really don't have good news for them. So, so you really are kind of like the uh, the 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 merchant of evil when you're a gate agent. No, oh, you're on the front lines. I mean, sure, you're getting yelled at, and it has to be. I can't even imagine. No, it it, it it's tough. I mean, and the other there's another issue there. You know, back in my day, American Airlines, Delta, United, they all hired their own people to handle their flights. Very often here, the people who are handling the flights above the wing and below the wing don't work for the airline. They're contractors. Oh. So when people start to scream at them, I mean, literally one airline told their contractors, just leave. That's not good service, people. No. And, and obviously airlines and their service and the way they handle these delays came under question with all the problems that happened last year, especially around uh, Thanksgiving time. I know we've talked before that this summer was going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of travel what about the number of seats available? Well, you know, keep on, we're still not back to where we were before the gift that keeps on giving came from Wuhan. But we are in a situation, this stuff about airlines don't have enough people to handle the flights. That's not necessarily true. We just don't have the airplanes. Let's, let's be real blunt. One of Southwest Airlines' biggest problems now is lack of airplanes. They need more airplanes, but Boeing can't deliver them because of supply chain issues. The same thing with people waiting for airplanes from Airbus. So a lot of it is that we don't have the airplanes that airlines would like to put into the sky. So we have a long holiday weekend coming. We are expecting potentially to have pre-pandemic levels travel Friday, especially before the 4th of July. That might be the busiest day. With all that's happened with the thousands of flights canceled earlier in the week, how difficult could Friday be? Difficult enough to maybe stay home. I don't know. It's going to, it could be tough, but let's remember, you know, one of the th things like, oh, it's going to be crowded. There aren't any more airplanes in the sky than last Friday. There might be more people at the airport. And importantly, they may be amateur travelers that aren't used to flying very much. But this argument of that, all these, you know, it's going to be crowded and airplanes will be jam-packed. They were jam-packed two weeks ago too. So the, the issue here is when that flight cancels, Trying to get home, and especially if you've got you know kids with you and screaming spouses and things like that, it's a nightmare. What should people do? You talked about people who are amateurs. What should they know? Well, you know, the average person who travels, well, average person, but the people who travel like once a year or something like that, they need to know, number one, you get there early, number one. And number two... How early are we talking? Start, well, you know, of course, they get crazy with this, but my feeling is you probably need to be at a big airport in a holiday season two and a half hours. And the reason I say that is you have the same people that aren't really aware of things trying to get through security. And I'll tell you, the nicest people at airports today, and good Lord, people will argue with me, are the ones wearing blue shirts at the TSA. They get overwhelmed with people. What do you mean I can't carry my Swiss Army knife on? That slows things down. So the security line itself is a big factor in all of this. When you are looking ahead to beyond 4th of July, you talked about how there are no more planes in the sky. Why not? I know you said it was Southwest couldn't get more planes. We're getting back to pre-pandemic levels. Why can't the airlines have more planes? Call Boeing and ask them why the production line is slow. Call Airbus and ask them why they're waiting for that engine. Well, weren't some uh, call... airplanes themselves grounded in COVID, like, airplane, like airlines put some planes out of service? They did. Most of those are back. But what has not come back are 50-seat jets. Now, these 50-seat jets made a lot of money in the, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Today, they can't. So when you hear they, they've grounded those jets for lack of pilots, they've grounded those jets for lack of profitability. 
So those are, are pulled out. So we'd have a smaller fleet than we did before, and airlines would love to be able to access more airplanes. They aren't out there. Adding to the issues for the airline industry, the Federal Aviation Administration still has no confirmed leader in place. Polly Trottenberg's the acting administrator while President Biden searches for another nominee to head the FAA. His last one, Phil Washington, withdrew in March because of Republican opposition, citing his lack of experience, never being a pilot or working for an airline. The problem is what politicians want to do is put one of their buddies in the job. And I'm sorry, the last guy they nominated had no background in aviation to speak of other than running an airport for a while, but he had nothing in his background that said he was a really great leader. How important is having an FAA administrator permanently in place? It's incredibly important with all the things happening. You know, keep in mind, it's, it, it, it's, we have the FAA issue. We also have things like foreign repair stations that need to be looked at. We've got this hundred, supposedly, of electric airplanes coming on online. I don't think it's going to happen because we can't get batteries. But nevertheless, we have to figure out how we're going to regulate, you know, air taxis, how we're going to handle ground on that, how we're going to have crash, fire, and rescue. We need somebody at the top who can look at these things and say, guys, let's get together. i got some ideas. Michael Boyd, president and CEO for Boyd Group International, an aviation forecasting and consulting firm. Thanks very much for joining us. It's my honor, sir. You have a good week ahead. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Liz Peek with your Fox News commentary coming up. President Biden's been on the road this year quite a bit, highlighting the infrastructure law and the projects being implemented now, the Chips and Science Act and the semiconductor manufacturing now taking place. This week, he was in Chicago highlighting what his team and he now call Bidenomics. Made in America, not a slogan. It's actually happening. For all the disagreements this president has had with the former one, they do agree on that and on bringing manufacturing back here. President Biden said Wednesday he thinks he's had more success on that front. Construction of manufacturing facilities here on U.S. soil grew only 2% on my predecessor's watch. In four years, 2%. My watch has grown nearly 100% in two years. 100%. And while President Biden undid a lot of what Trump did, he did not lift Trump's tariffs on China. When asked last summer if it was time to lift them, President Biden said no, that the Chinese hadn't lived up to their end of a deal negotiated by Trump's trade team. So it appears tensions with China can supersede domestic party politics. After canceling his trip in Beijing over the spy balloon incident, Secretary of State Blinken met with China's president. And after his trip, he said the two countries agreed to stabilize the rivalry to avoid conflict. This week, Blinken told the Council on Foreign Relations. Bottom line is this. Uh, China's not going away. We're not going away. So in the first instance, we have to find a way to coexist and coexist peacefully. We know we're in an intense competition. Blinken, who stressed the importance of keeping lines of communication open with the Chinese, predicted after his trip that we would see more trips with U.S. officials going there and Chinese officials coming here. With bipartisan agreement on some of this approach, there are those who say we can and should do more. First of all, it, it is in fact true that 
they are doing a lot in the trade area, which is uh, consistent with what we did. Robert Lighthizer was the U.S. trade representative during the Trump administration. I think that uh, President Trump should get a lot of credit for changing the way people think about trade policy. And um, I, of course, was part of that. You know, that includes things like not negotiating agreements where we give away additional access and cost U.S. manufacturing jobs in return for some hope for uh, a political or geopolitical uh, benefit from a country. So there is that side. Then there's also the China side, because, as you say, they did keep the Chinese tariffs uh, and I think should keep them. And then they did do the CHIPS Act, something which I supported. My view was that it's probably not perfect and it's going to need to be reworked. But the notion that you have to be a player in the CHIPS space right. uh, is, is un- inarguable. And you can't be it without spending government money because China's spending a fortune, Europe's spending a fortune, Korea's spending a fortune. So we have to be in that space. And, you know, without without chips, I mean, chips are a good idea, just a good example of the whole trade problem. I mean, the chips were basically invented here, right? I mean, they, you know, there was a time not long ago in the 80s and 90s when most of the chips in the world were made in the United States. Now we make about 12% of the world supply and none of the high, uh, of the really small ones, the really high tech ones. So you do need some kind of industrial policy. But I certainly supported the CHIP Act and thought it was the right thing to do. And, and, and it's essential that we're in the CHIP phase. If not, we're just not going to be a first global country. And, and we've fallen you know, way, way behind. We don't make the chips that are needed for an F-35, right? I mean, like 90% of them are, are imported. So that's a dangerous situation to be in if you're going to be in, a, in some kind of a war down the road. Now, what about tariffs? While the Biden administration didn't lift the tariffs on China that you all put in place during the Trump administration, many U.S. businesses don't like them, and they say the costs get pushed on to them as well as consumers. With inflation, why should tariffs remain? You know, so, so there's a lot of questions in, you know, that come up when, in just what you said. First of all, you said the business community doesn't like tariffs. A lot of people in the business community don't, but a lot do. So it's, it kind of depends. If you're an importer, or depend on imports, you don't like them. If you're making steel, you like them. So it certainly is true that the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, the big national companies that have become too dangerously dependent on China, they don't like them. But on the other hand, it's the purpose of government to take care of workers, not to make happy CEOs of corporations that are making 80 million bucks a year, right? So hmm. it's, it's untroubling to me that people who import don't like tariffs. I understand that. Now, the notion that they're inflationary is completely wrong, right? We put them in place, had them in place for over two years, and we had no inflation. So there are situations where they might have some effect on price, but they certainly didn't in our case. And in most cases, the prices are absorbed. The tariffs were absorbed by the Chinese, or we found other sources or moved the product back. What I tell American businessmen, if they are really American, I say, you know, you don't have to pay any tariffs at all. We don't charge any tariffs on anything made in America. Let me ask you more about how we're currently dealing with China, whether that's through sanctions or export controls on technology or the Secretary of State saying after his trip to Beijing that the Chinese spy balloon 
incident, that, that that's a chapter that should be closed. Are we trying to walk some fine line here? Well, well, I mean, I think it's a it's a kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, there are things that I certainly like. I like keeping the tariffs. I like uh, export controls. But see, see, to me, it's kind of a two tier analysis. The first question is, do you understand that China is an existential threat to the United States? So I have these debates with people about what what remedies we should take. And I always step back and say, well, do you understand that China wants to be the dominant country in the world and wants us not to be? That they have built up the biggest army in the world, the biggest navy in the world, that they are aggressively anti-American in all their diplomatic work, that when they talk to each other, they talk in a way about prepare for the struggle. Change is not seen in 100 years. These are code words, which means we're coming after the United States. We're ascendant. The United States is descended. It's decadent. It's got problems. And then they steal our technology. And then they spy us. Once you realize across the board that they're doing all these things, you have to conclude that they are an existential threat, a very lethal adversary. All right. Now, once you conclude that, then all this other sort of stuff kind of falls into place. Why would you continue to give five, six, seven hundred billion dollars a year net to an adversary, someone who wants to take your place in the world, someone who doesn't like you. Why would you do well, that? Well, is that because, is that because we're so entrenched? Your... Well, but, but I mean, so, so, so what that basically means is we're in a, a fight for our lives against a hostile power and a hostile system, and we've already lost. So let's just sit back. There was a great <laughs> Churchill quote the great Churchill quote was, an appeaser is someone who believes that if you feed the crocodile, he will eat you last. That what you're what you just said <laughs> is we can't make changes because we've already lost. But but I want to ask specifically what changes, because even you have said, look, we don't need to just walk away from China altogether. We can't. Right. There's there, we've got a, so many things are made there that we that we still need. Well, you're not talking about a complete decoupling right saying goodbye so if there is going to be some trade and some relationship and yet you're characterizing them as this like extreme adversary this foe then how, how what do we do well let me say do you think they're not a foe have you studied the thing do you, do you think what did i say no i have no idea i'm i get to ask people like you questions who know things <laughs> so so there's no question that any sensible person that looks at the situation would agree with me on the first point. Now, to be honest, if they don't agree with me on the first point, then I know they probably have investments or some other personal stake in China. All right. So then the question is, what do you do about it? And to me, what I have espoused is something that I call strategic decoupling. Now, you're saying we couldn't just break it off entirely. Of course we could. But it's probably not necessary. What we need to do is, one, mm. get to balance trade. And that means we have to put substantial tariffs on them so that they buy from us and we buy from them about the amount, the right, the same amount. If you do that, Jessica, then what you are doing, you are at least stopping the, the outflow of net cash and you stop paying for their military and for their buildup and for their technology. So you basically, you have to get to, to balance trade. And if you have balanced trade, it'll benefit both countries the way trade is supposed to do it. The way it is now, where we're running these huge trade deficits with them, it's not benefiting us at all. All right. 
So, I mean, that. So, I mean, and that isn't to say that there isn't some guy in New York or California who isn't, you know, getting richer because of it. I'm not <laughs> saying that. I'm just saying as a country, it's not helping us. So you have to disentangle your technology and move forward independently and in conjunction with allies, Europe and, and, uh, and Japan and others. And then the third part of it is, is you have to put restrictions on outgoing and incoming um, uh, investment so that it's in our interest. Now, just to sort of to put, another, put this another way, this is the way China treats us, all right? China does not let us have a trade surplus with them. Indeed, they have great with us. Um, China is very careful about the integration of technology and wants not to be integrated. They want to have the total technology themselves. And third, outgoing and ingoing investment is regulated by the government so that it's in the interest of China. So if they view us as a foe and they are taking that position, what I'm saying is we would be crazy not to take that position. Well, former U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Meet the American who first planted apples in the original colonies. Move over Johnny Appleseed from apple picking to apple bobbing, even baking them in a classic apple pie. Americans can thank William Blackston for introducing one of the nation's favorite fruits to the English settlements in the 1920s. In what's become present-day Boston, historians believe Reverend Blackston planted the seeds of the country's first apple orchards. This came at a time when folks of the New World were seeing the greatest period of food fusion and exploration in world history. Blackston left his home in Lincolnshire, England in the 17th century with a large collection of books and notably a collection of exotic seeds that he would cultivate into a staple of the U.S. diet. He was a pioneer in the truest sense of the word, settling in Boston five years before the Puritans and later settling in Rhode Island a year before Roger Williams. He was considered a hermit to many, but eccentric to those in his surrounding community, with several accounts detailing how Blackston, after a successful fall harvest, would ride a bull through the streets, tossing flowers and apples to all of his friends. Apples can also be dried, baked, distilled into vinegar, or most commonly in colonial times, fermented into cider. This was exactly why they proved to be the perfect food for the pioneers who were spreading across the continent. Blackston, commonly known as Blackstone today, left behind a meaningful legacy throughout Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and the U.S. And while this fruit is native to Central Asia, due to Blackston's hard work and innovation, our national heritage is flavored with references to the sweet, juicy fruit. You can go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com and find more of these incredible American stories. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. 
It's time for your Fox News commentary. Liz Peek. What's on your mind? Every single Democrat on the House Ways and Means Committee voted to keep hidden from the public whistleblower testimony that the Department of Justice blocked the investigation into Hunter Biden. Every single one. Is there not one Democrat legislator concerned about the wrongdoing of the FBI or the Department of Justice? Or maybe curious about the source of Hunter Biden's millions? Are there no honest Democrats? So far, Biden's colleagues on the Hill have glommed together like silly putty in their defense of Joe and his son, Hunter. Can the solidarity hold up? It's hard to imagine. The walls are closing in on Joe Biden. Republicans in the House are doggedly and carefully pursuing leads, beginning with 150 suspicious activity reports that reveal more each week about Biden, Inc. The House Oversight Committee, led by James Comer, has obtained bank records that show millions, possibly tens of millions of dollars, flowing not only to Hunter Biden himself, but also to many members of the Biden family from countries like China and Ukraine through obscure LLCs. Someone needs to ask Joe Biden why these complicated financial transactions were necessary. If everything is above board, why funnel funds through hard-to-trace intermediaries? This is not just smoke any longer. This is a raging inferno. Joe Biden has repeatedly denied ever talking to Hunter about his business dealings, but eyewitness testimony and photos of the president meeting with known associates of his son undermine such denials. Just recently, an IRS whistleblower delivered a WhatsApp message dated July 30, 2017, from Hunter Biden to a Chinese associate, in which the president's son angrily demands money and claims to be sitting next to his father. Republicans can apparently place Joe and Hunter in the same house the day that text was sent. And they can document that $5 million was indeed sent in the days following that demand. The scandal rising up around Joe Biden doesn't threaten the future of a charismatic party leader as a bright future. It's swirling around a president who is deeply unpopular. A recent Harvard-Harris poll indicates it might be a good time for a Democrat to break ranks and support the investigation into possible Biden family corruption. The survey shows two-thirds of the country does not believe that Joe has never discussed Hunter's business dealings. A stunning 57% of respondents, almost six in 10 Americans, thinks Joe Biden took a bribe when he was vice president, and 55% do not believe the FBI is rigorously investigating allegations of Biden corruption. In addition, just recently, the Washington Press Corps appeared to have awakened to the gravity of the charges being leveled against Hunter Biden and, much more importantly, his father. If the liberal media turns on Biden, it is game, set, match, and Democrats who have resolutely stood by the failing president will pay a price. This is Liz Peake, Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, everyone. It's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.